If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I, I wasn't able to be here two weeks ago when, when Sean preached the, the second part of this chapter, but I was able to listen to it this past week, and I was so blessed by that sermon. And I was, I was really grateful for how Sean stirred our hearts towards evangelism and towards having ambition to lay our rights and to lay our privileges down for the glory of God and for the sake of seeing souls be one to God. Sean's text two weeks ago ended with these words from Paul. Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all, he says, for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul had a laser-sharp focus to his life and ministry. His ambition was to do anything for the sake of the gospel and for all that God wanted to do in this world through the gospel. Paul knew the blessing of knowing God personally, and he wanted others to share in that blessing with him. And it's with this laser-sharp focus that Paul continues in our text this morning. Let's begin by reading verses 24 to 27. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Running is terrible. It literally is the worst. Maybe I should say running without any clear purpose or direction is the worst. There are people out there, some of you are crazy like this, there are people who love to run just for the heck of running. I am not one of those people. Some of you are like this. Tim Gockenbach, good friend, he's a student in Code Red, he runs miles and miles every week. Not because he has to, not because he's being chased by a dog, just because he likes to. And some of you are crazy like that. If that is you, chances are we are not best friends. Now, don't get me wrong, I have been known to enjoy running to some degree. I even ran a half marathon a few years back. At times, I do enjoy running, but it is only when I have a clear purpose or goal. If I'm going to run, I need to have a clear goal. I either need to have the goal of experiencing the the famous runner's high, which, let's be honest, it's not quite as, as amazing as people say that it is. The runner's high is just your coach's way of deceiving you into running longer. But it's not really a thing. It's like me saying, just keep hammering your finger with a hammer. I know it hurts right now, but you're going to experience the hammer's high. No, you're not. Your hammer's just going to grow numb and maybe fall off, and then you won't feel it anymore. 
The runner's high is a delusion. It just makes you so oblivious to your pain because you're so tired. You just keep going like a lunatic. So I might enjoy running with the goal of experiencing that elusive runner's high. I might enjoy running for the sake of being more healthy or to complete a race. I will definitely run if pizza is on the other side. But listen, if there is no goal, if there is no target, if there is no ambition, if there's nothing that I am aiming for in my running, thank you very much. Give me a good book. I'll have a seat. Having clear direction and clear purpose is very helpful in our running. Church, having clear direction and clear purpose is also very helpful in our living. Some of us today are miserable on a daily basis because we're trying to figure this whole living thing out. But we have no idea what we're doing or why we're doing what we do. People have said that there's this happy life to be had, like a runner's high, that a, that a better life can be experienced, that there's joy and happiness and satisfaction to be enjoyed. But so few of us have ever experienced that fully that we've begun to wonder whether it is just a myth, something that others claim to enjoy, but is really not a thing at all. Well, friends, our text today has the ability to cut through all of that fogginess, Paul's word and example here have the ability to give you very clear direction for your life. These verses today have the ability to make your life no longer aimless and torturous, but but purposeful and fruitful and, yes, even joyful. The example of Paul here reveals to us that the gospel of Jesus Christ can and should lead us towards running through life with a clear and powerful direction from God, direction and purpose that we all need. The main idea here this morning is this. Excuse me. The gospel compels us to live our lives with God-given aim and grace-fueled discipline in order to receive the crown of eternal life. The gospel compels us to live our lives with God-given aim and grace-fueled discipline in order to receive the crown of eternal life. And we have four points this morning. Point number one, the race set before us. That's in verse 24. Point number two, the race won for us. That's verse 23 and other places. Point number three, the prize promised to us, that's in the beginning or the second half of verse 25. And point number four, the discipline required of us, that's in verses 26 to 27. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, the race set before us. Where are you going in life? Why do you exist? Why does your marriage exist? Why does your family exist? Why do we as a church family exist? Why are we alive? You know, as I ask those questions, I feel a a deep pastoral burden. Those are not just questions to begin this first point this morning. No, those questions about why we exist are so very important. If I pause and and I think about the significant lack of direction in many of our lives, I become deeply burdened. There are so many of us today who are lacking in a God-centered ambition for life and who as a result don't have clarity about why they live their days. So many men today, so many husbands are living their lives, going to work, coming home from work, but they don't know why they exist in any way. 
So many women are in the same place. They're investing into their careers or they're caring for their children and they're really good at what they do, but they don't feel strong in it because they don't have any sense of purpose in it all. They certainly don't have joy. This is true of men and women alike. It's true of husbands and fathers, wives and mothers. It's true of college students and high school students. Our our depression today, our our midlife crisis, our pornography addictions, our video game addictions, our social media obsession, our workaholism, our gluttony, our empty existences come from a lack of direction and a lack of purpose in our lives. And listen, if you don't have clear direction in your life, if you don't know why you exist as a Christian businesswoman or Christian mother or Christian husband or father, if you don't know why you exist as a college student, if you don't know what race you are running, you will eventually burn out and give up. Nothing in this world alone can give you enough sense of purpose and direction to sustain you and to sustain your family through all of life. You might feel like you have purpose for a little while. You might feel strong, purpose to be successful, purpose to be a good parent, purpose to be a good citizen. But if your direction comes only from these things in this world, you will emphatically not have enough direction and purpose to sustain you for the long haul. What happens when your kids grow up? What happens when your political party fails you? What happens when your company downsizes? What happens when your spouse or your kids or your friends betray you? What happens then? If you don't have a right ambition, a right understanding what race you are running, then you will not be able to keep going. We need to find a reason for our existence, an ambition for our lives that transcends these momentary things in life, or else we will eventually burn out, or we'll just be tortured inside. We might look successful on the outside, but but inside on on a daily basis, our souls will be screaming, there's got to be something more to why I'm alive. Listen to this quote from Paul Tripp in his book entitled, A Quest for More. It's a book about living for something greater than ourselves. He says, the mistake that we have made is that we have shrunk our Christianity to the size of our own lives. We have taken God's grace and wisdom as an invitation to a better marriage, a better relationship with our children, a better extended family life, better success at work, etc. And there is a way that God's grace does invite us to all these things. But here is the point, he says. God invites you to so much more. God's grace invites you to be part of something that is far greater than your boldest and most expansive dream. His grace cuts a hole in your self-built prison and invites you to step into something so huge, so significant, that only one word in the Bible can adequately capture it. That word is glory. Paul Tripp says that all of these other things are not, not bad, but they are empty if they are not part of something so much bigger, something so huge, so significant, that it has the power to capture your entire existence. He's saying that the rat race of this world is not where you and I should live. No, there's a better race to run. And that's exactly what we see in our text. Look at verse 24. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? And at first you might might think that he's just using an illustration to make a, a different point. But that the race doesn't have to do with us. But that's not the case. Look at what he says next. He says, so run that you 
may obtain it. Paul says, look at the athletes that we celebrate in the arena. It is very clear that Olympic runners, for example, have purpose in how they run. When they get on the track, they're not just going for a jog with their friends. No, they're running to win a prize. There's a goal. There's a direction for their running. There's an ambition that fuels them in their running. Paul says, look at those athletes who run in that way, and the same should be true of you. Usain Bolt, do you know that name? Usain Bolt, perhaps the fastest person to ever run. He's an incredible athlete, very fun to watch. Usain Bolt doesn't take himself too seriously, and I like that about him. And he says things like this. He says, I don't read lots of books. He says, I don't know the history of my sport. I'm not like those people who know everything about this. So he's not the most informed of other people or athletes. But do you know what else he also says? He says things like, I know what I want to do, and I go and I execute. He knows what he wants, and and that desire, that want, the prize before him gives direction and purpose. He doesn't need all of the information and other giftings of other people. Keeping his eyes set on the prize is enough to compel him forward. Friends, Paul the Apostle is not saying that you and I should go and join the local track team. No, praise God, we would fail. He's saying... He says, run in your Christian life like these athletes run their races. You don't need to have all the information that Paul the Apostle has. You don't need to have grown up in a Christian home. You don't even need to have been a Christian for very long. You could have become a Christian just yesterday. You don't need to be a brilliant theologian. You don't need to have the history of the the Christian church. No, you need to know who you are and what God has called you to, and you need to execute accordingly. That's what Paul is saying. And in the context, Paul Paul has been talking about how knowledge puffs up. It's empty, but love builds up. He's been calling us to to live our lives with love and care for those around us. He's He's been talking about how we as Christians should have ambition to live our lives, not for ourselves, but for the advantage, for the blessing, for the benefit of other people. Specifically, he's been calling us to live in a way that makes the gospel known to people who do not know and accept the gospel so that they may be saved. We see Paul use the word gospel seven times in chapter 9 alone. We see him use the word win five times, and every time he uses it, it's in reference to people. Friends, oftentimes verses 24 to 27 are used as personal motivations within the church. Almost like a pep talk or a self-improvement program. Run your best race now. The prize is a better version of yourself. No, church, Paul is not calling us to self-improvement, although that's included. He's calling us to self-sacrifice. He's not saying, you just do you, run your race, don't worry about anyone else. No, he's calling us to run with purpose and direction, but that purpose and direction is emphatically not ourselves. It's other people, and specifically, it's the glory of God and the gospel which can benefit and bless other people. And that is the prize that we are running to obtain. We are running a race of gospel love in order to see other people be saved by that same grace and love. And we need to talk about that more, the prize. But before we get to the prize of the race, we need to consider a different race. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, the race won for us. 
And we don't see this immediately in verses 24 to 27, but we do see it if we consider the context that these verses are written in, and if we look up just to verse 23, and if we consider everything else Paul has been saying throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. And friends, this is very important this morning, because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, any time that we study the idea of running a race as Christians from the Bible, we might be tempted to think that Christianity is about trying to win or earn our salvation before God by how well we run the race. That, that ultimately, whether we are saved by God is determined by whether we discipline our bodies and run the race fast enough or not, right? It'd be very easy to make our salvation dependent on how we run and whether we cross the finish line. But friends, church, can we remember together this morning that that is emphatically not the gospel that we just got done singing about? The gospel is not run this race by reading your Bible and serving your community and by being the best person that you can be and hopefully, maybe one day, you will cross the finish line and be accepted. That's not the gospel. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But it doesn't put the weight of winning the race on us. The author says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, we're able to run the race of this life and the race of evangelism and mission together because Jesus already ran our race and won it for us. In verse 23 of our text, Paul says that he does all that he does for the sake of the gospel, that he might share with others in his blessing. And we've heard Paul talk about the gospel again and again and again. He's not running a race in his own strength or for his own salvation. No, he is very confident that that race has already been run and won for him by Jesus. He said again and again, let no one boast in man, but let us boast only in Jesus Christ. Paul is, and he's inviting us to rest in the gospel. He's resting in the finished work of Jesus on his behalf and church, that's really good news. It's really good news because guess what? You can't run the race of salvation for yourself. Now the message of the gospel is that at the very starting line, while you and I should be lacing up and setting the starting block and, and doing our stretches and, and getting run to take off with the starting gun, God's word says that while we should be doing all of that, we are, we're flat on our faces dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to move even a muscle towards him. The gospel says we can do nothing. But guess what? When that starting gun goes off, guess what happens? Someone else jumps over the fence and into our lane. Someone else ties on the shoes of humanity, never to be undone, and jumps into your position. Someone puts on your racing bib with your number and your name on themselves and puts their racing bib on you, and then they begin the race on your behalf, and they run a perfect race. They don't stumble a single step. They're stride is set. And guess what? That person, Jesus, finishes the race. And on the other side, he sits down without even losing his breath. 
And so now, this is the gospel now, by faith, the gospel says that by faith, all we need to do is believe that he ran the race for us. Believe that he did what we could not do. He felt the pain of our stumblings. He felt the burden of our failings. He felt it all and he paid the price for it all, but yet he still won the race through his death and resurrection from the grave. The race of salvation is complete. Friends, this is the gospel. This, this, this is what justification is all about. This is what definitive sanctification is all about. The gospel says that Jesus has done for us what we could not do, and it is final. It is complete. He ran the race. He received the crown. The, the work on our behalf is it's finished. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The results of your race are not in question. It's already determined with everyone who believes in the finished work of Jesus. They will cross the finish line. Jesus is not angry with you this morning. Jesus is not standing like a clock with a stopwatch saying, can you pick it up a little bit? You are at peace with Christ and with God because of the work of Christ. Jesus says over us, I ran in his lane and with his name and his number was on me. I finished the race for him. He says, I ran in her lane and with her name and her number was on me and I finished the race for her. My victory is their victory. Their victory is not dependent on how well they run today. It's dependent on me. And, and do they still need to run the race that is set before them? Yes, they will. And yes, they will stumble. But the end of the race is not in question. They've already won. Romans chapter 8 for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, made righteous. And though, listen to these words, those whom he justified, he also glorified. We haven't got to heaven yet, but it's as good as done those whom he ran the race for will be glorified. They will cross the finish line. It is a guarantee. This is the race that has been won for us. And we should praise God for it loudly with our lives. But then why do we still need to run a race? Point number three, the prize promised to us. So as much as we must celebrate the fact that Jesus has won the race for us, as much as we must celebrate that very loudly this morning, we must be honest about verses like these that speak about the fact that there are prizes in this race to be won or lost. Paul says in verse 24, so run that you may obtain it. If the race has already been won, then, then what is the urgency of what Paul is saying here? Why should we care? Well, friends, we need to acknowledge that though salvation is complete and we are very secure in Christ, how we run the race that is set before us is both indicative of our faith and part of God's mission through us. How we run the race that is set before us, how we run our Christian lives is a statement of whether we truly believe in Jesus or not. And so if you stop running the race altogether, if you stop living for Jesus, 
That is a statement of your lack of true belief in Jesus, and you will be disqualified. Paul speaks of that in verse 27. And we will talk about that more next week, even as we enter into chapter 10. And he talks about how the Israelites fell short of the promised land. So how we run, how we live, is a statement of our faith in Jesus. But listen, it's also a part of God's mission to this world. And this is so wonderful to consider together to give us purpose and ambition for how we live our lives. Paul gives us clear callings for our lives through what he says here. Look at verse 25. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Back then, they would have been given a crown that was made of grass and, and flowers. It was literally a perishable wreath. It would have wilted and died very, very quickly. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable This is amazing. Listen, not only has Jesus won the race for us, but he has now invited us to run our our race with him. And even though it's all by God's grace, he says that there are prizes to be won along the way. And what is the prize? People. People are the prize. Paul says that we can run the race of our lives in a way that on the final day, when we cross the finish line, giving Jesus all the glory for what only he has done. Still, in that moment, God is going to give us the crown of eternal salvation and the prize of seeing how our lives lived in this world by faith were used by God to save others to himself. Others who also now joyfully share in the blessing of the gospel. That's what Paul means here. It's what Paul means in passages like Philippians chapter 3, When he says, I press on, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, listen, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is saying that the people that he preached the gospel to, the people that he evangelizes and cares for, will be his crown on the final day. The prize promised to us is people, even as he said in last week's text, only that we might win some. God has so written the story that he wants to use people like you and me in all of our weakness, in all of our lack of skill and wisdom and ability. He wants to use us And he wants to give us a a sense of purpose and direction in the gospel that he actually will use to draw other people to the hope of the gospel and to himself. Listen, Jesus ran your race for you. His victory is your victory. Hallelujah. But in his victory, Jesus now takes a victory lap back to the starting line. And when he gets there, he finds you dead in your trespasses and sins, and he picks you up, and he breathes on you, and he gives you his Holy Spirit, and he now regenerates you and gives you living faith, and he now helps you to actually run the race with him. We already have victory in him. We know what the end will be, but he wants to show us and he wants to show the world that his victory over sin and death has the power to transform our lives today in this world. Not just positionally before God, but practically in real life. And so he 
by the power of his spirit, runs by our side. And he helps us to discipline our bodies. He helps us to exercise our faith. He helps us to get up when we stumble and keep going. And why does he do all of that? Well, he does it to prove his power in our lives, but he also does it so that people who are in the stands looking on, people who are watching, your next door neighbor, your coworker, your unbelieving spouse, People who are watching your life from the stands might see how victorious and fruitful you are because of Jesus and so that they might believe that he might have run the race for them as well. This is Paul's burden for, for himself and this is his call to us to run the race that is set before us. He says preaching, even as he says in verse 27, preaching the gospel through our words and through our lives in a way that causes people to say, Huh, wow, I wonder if Jesus ran for me too. I wonder if I believe in him like they do. Can he give me the same sense of purpose and direction and victory in my life? I wonder if his victory can be my victory as well. Church, that's why we are still here. Jesus hasn't come back. He didn't run back to the finish line, pick us up, and take us immediately to heaven because he wants to run this race with us in a way that shows how good and gracious and powerful he is so that others might see and know. Redeemer Fellowship, may we want the prize of souls like Paul wanted the prize of souls. May, may we want to be used by God in this way. May this give us direction and holy ambition for our daily lives. Redeemer Fellowship, there are people all around us, even this coming week, who are watching us. They're actually sitting in the stands and they're, they're watching two races happen at the same time. They're watching the, the rat race of this world that they're even a part of. They're watching what everyone else is living for and chasing after, what everyone else is trying to find their hope and peace in, but how all of it continually disappoints and leaves them with a sense of emptiness. And they're watching the race of faith that you are living. They're watching how you live. They're watching you run with Jesus by your side, and they're saying, wow, I wonder if Jesus can help me too. Redeemer Fellowship, may we do all that we do for the sake of the gospel and to share with the many in his blessing. May we want to hear those, those cherished words on the final day, well done, good and faithful servant, and may we experience the prize of being able to look around us on that day and see others who are sharing with us in that blessing because of how we lived by faith in this life, because of how we lived on mission together, because of how we released our rights together because of how we were generous with our resources together, because of how we served together, because of how we shared the gospel together, because of how we were courageous together, because of how we fought for unity despite our division together. May we want the prize of souls, even as Paul wanted the prize of souls. This is why we exist. This is why we plant churches. May we be a church on mission together, not living in our own kingdoms, not living safe and secure within the walls of this local church, but earnestly desiring God to use us and our race together to bring many others to faith in him and to the work that he wants to do in them earnestly, courageously going out and living, letting our faith be visible to the world around us. May we want this. And by God's grace, may we, we be willing to do anything in order to see God accomplish this in our lives. 
And that brings us to our fourth and to our final point. Point number four, the discipline required of us. Paul says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one just beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. Church family, we have been given victory. We are secure in Jesus, but in our security, we are now called to live out our faith through living holy, godly lives and through living lives on mission together. And that does not happen passively. Now, this requires intentionality. It requires godly aim and grace-fueled effort. It's all by God's grace, because apart from him, we'd still be laying dead on the starting line, but his grace has enabled us to live for him. And so one of the greatest ways that we are able to prove our faith in Jesus is by pursuing godliness in all of life and to do it with the ambition to be on mission together. Running without a goal is dumb. Running with a goal is very different. Brothers and sisters, do you lack direction for why you read your Bible? Do you wonder why you pursue purity like you do? Do you wonder why you are supposed to attend church and fellowship group each week? Friends, Paul does not want us to run aimlessly. He doesn't want us just to box the air, just doing random things because they're what we heard we're supposed to do as Christians. No, he wants us to have ambition in all that we do. He wants us to have ambition for the glory of God and for the mission of the church in this world. To, to fail to be on mission, Redeemer Fellowship, as Paul is on mission here, is to call into question whether we truly understand the power of the gospel in our lives and in our church or not. To fail to be on mission is to gut ourselves as well of purpose and joy. God doesn't want us just to, to do a bunch of stuff. He doesn't call us to just be godly without any sense of purpose behind it. No, there is purpose and there is direction. If there wasn't, we'd already be in heaven with him but he has things that he wants to accomplish here and now. Your life matters. Your godliness matters. It matters because God has given us the joyful privilege of joining him in the work that he is doing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus said, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our lives, our, our spiritual disciplines, our self-control, our growth in godliness is only possible because of God's grace and the work that he's done, but it's also part of how God wants to give grace to other people to push back against the evil of this world, to fight evil itself and to build the kingdom of God. And that does not happen passively. That requires discipline and effort. And I'm so thankful that it does. I'm so thankful that it does because it, it gives purpose to my life. Redeemer Fellowship, be, be encouraged this morning. You're not running aimlessly. You're not running blindly. You're not just beating the air for no, no sake. You are in a heavenly fight with Jesus. And he's on your side. You're part of what God is doing in this world. And everything that you do by faith as a Christian man or woman can be done with a clear sense of purpose and a holy calling to it. Don't lose hope for your neighbor. Don't lose hope for your children. 
Don't lose hope for your unbelieving husband or wife. As you live a holy life for Jesus, as you serve those around you, as you proclaim the gospel, God promises to use it to win many to himself. What what a calling on us, Redeemer Fellowship. Running the Christian life without clear ambition is a terrible thing. Why doesn't he just take us to heaven? But knowing that we remain in this world for this reason has the ability to fuel your Christian life with far more than just a runner's high. Christian, you do not go to work tomorrow morning aimlessly. You do not disciple and discipline your kids this week without reason for hope. You do not read and pray without clear ambition and direction. You do not share the gospel with someone as if you were just punching the air aimlessly. No, we go to work with a godly attitude. We live with self-control and purity. We cultivate godly prayer lives. We live in unity together. We introduce ourselves to our new neighbors. We live content in Jesus and not in this world. We share the gospel with our boss and with our coworkers. We love our spouses. We do all of this and none of it is aimless. By God's grace, it's all very purposeful. Friends, we're not going to gather outside and enjoy food and fellowship later on just because it's a fun thing to do. We're going to do it because God has given us grace to fellowship together despite how diverse we are, and it's a beautiful thing. And those of you who served in preparation for this morning, I want you to know that you did not serve just because we want to hang out together. You served because of the gospel and what God wants to do in our lives and in this world. I was sitting in my truck preparing and I was observing the army of people serving. And one of the things I observed was how joyfully they were doing it. Even when about a dozen of them, I saw Tom and Chris Keyes and Rodrigo and Nathan Lee and Everett and Sarah Petit, Michael Thompson, Elena Haynes, Vito Peritore. They were walking around picking up goose poop. It was awesome. They all had bags and they were doing it and, and, and Michael Thompson was, was walking around with a big one and by the time it was done, it was like a, a bowl of goose poop. People don't do that just to hang out together. People have joy in a task like that because of what God has called them to and how they have faith that in the smallest of deeds, in the smallest acts of obedience, God wants to work in our lives. It's all by his grace and it's all very purposeful. We do it all for the sake of the gospel and to share with the many in its blessing.